Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 11, called New Dimensions. It's written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Kelly Cronin. We have no new reviews to go over this week, but if you would like to, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a review below, and we'll probably read it on an upcoming episode. You can also get in touch with us by emailing quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can find us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod, and you can hop into our Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord to get into the Quantum Drive channel and talk with us about the show. Before we get into the episode, Katie has trivia. I do have trivia. I don't have a ton of trivia today, but I got a couple good good nuggets here. One of the things that I thought was interesting is John gets promoted this episode. Mm-hmm. And it mirrors something in Star Trek The Next Generation. It sure does. When a certain Jordy LaForge is promoted, which I, I mean, I thought that when I first watched this episode, I was like, this is very similar to LeVar Burton mm-hmm. in Next Gen. Totally. So I thought that was interesting. And it said that on the on Next Generation that Jordy LaForge got the chief engineering position after it had rotated through a couple guest stars in the first season. Mm, that's true. Yeah, it was weird that they had different chief engineers for a while on Next Gen. And then they were like, well, why not put Jordy down there? Mm-hmm. Honestly. I do miss John on the bridge, though. Same. So in the beginning of this episode, the Orville is docked at an unidentified space station. Mm-hmm. But since the episode Old Wounds, this is the only other Union-like dockyard that we've seen. Mm, yeah, they've talked about them, but we haven't actually seen others. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that's interesting because like, the show is very centric on just the Orville in space. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's sometimes for me, it's like a good reminder, like, oh, there's a bunch of ships doing stuff like this, not just the Orville. So I think that's actually kind of a cool thing to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we see a lot more of Yafit in this episode, too. Jason Clark, who is an executive producer, says this of Yafet. Um, there's a drawing in the book, The World of the Orville, which is actually really cool. And I wish I could show you. It's a Seth MacFarlane drawing of a blob with a mouth. And it makes me very happy. But John Clark says this. That drawing is the first image Seth gave me in early 2006 of Yafet. He wanted to know if we could feature a CGI character that is essentially a gelatinous blob with a sloppy mouth hole. <laughs> <laughs> I turned to our collaborators, Trippet Studios, who we worked with on CGI for the Ted movies. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing in the Ted tie there. I like it. Yeah. I love Yafet and that they call him a gelatinous blob with a sloppy mouth. So (laughs) the sloppy mouth part got me. (laughs) Yeah. That's all the trivia for today. There were no guest stars uh, this episode that I found. So, yeah, just a couple little little things this week. All right. So the episode begins in the mess hall during a farewell party for Chief Engineer Newton, who's leaving the Orville to design a new space station. Gordon and Lamar tell Dan about a prank they've pulled on Yafit. The two take a piece of him and put it into the buffet. I love Dan. This scene shows why I don't like Dan. I love Dan so much. (laughs) I just need him to calm down. He's so needy for acceptance. I mean, there's people like that in the world, though. He just wants friends. He doesn't have a place, it seems, but he just seems like such a nice guy. Yeah, but it's almost it doesn't come across as genuine to me. I'd be Dan's friend. I would not. (laughs) (laughs) I would just be glaring at him from the corner. I'm like, stop trying so hard. You're making it difficult for me. Oh, I just 
I when I saw Dan again, I was like, this just makes my heart happy. Yafit heads to sickbay to tell Dr. Finn he's not feeling well and suspects he's missing a piece. While he's being scanned, Bordis comes in and complains of stomach discomfort. A quick scan reveals the missing piece must have been accidentally eaten by Bordis, and Yafit realizes that Gordon and Malloy are behind it, so Bordis opens his mouth and Yafit fishes it out. <laughs> um, the first time I watched this episode, I, you know, didn't pay as close attention to things. Just the whole Yafet reaching in Boris's mouth was very intense the second time through. It was. I just can't even imagine filming something like that. Like, keep your mouth open and pretend that a right, gelatinous just, creature. Like, kinda- Shake your head around a little bit here and there. I thought it because Bordis has an iron stomach, which Mm -hmm. in a prior episode we saw him eat like glass and things. And so the fact that he ate, I think, like another living creature that was still alive, maybe caused some uh, gastric upset for him. But I loved the ending of the scene when Bordis just storms out. (laughs) I just he didn't say anything. He just like stormed out of the room. It is interesting, too, that we learn a little bit more about Yafit. Because Claire asks, what happens when a piece is missing? Is it sentient on its own? And Yafit's like, well, kind of. Not entirely, but I just feel like I'm in like a cold, wet place or dark, wet place. <laughs> it is interesting because most of the stuff we I feel like we've learned about Yafit so far is that he has feelings for Claire. And this kind of provided a little glimpse more into him as a character mm-hmm. and what his purpose on the ship is. I thought it was a mean prank. It is a mean prank. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like, there's pranks, and then there's mean pranks. And I was like, this is... They ripped off a part of his body. And put it in food that Bordis ate. Yeah, it's a horrible prank, and that's why now they're in Grayson's office, and Gordon and Malloy are being reprimanded for their foolish behavior. As Kelly opens John's record to add a note, she's stunned by what it says. Oh, well, John is the smartest on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allegedly, which I I don't know. I just think they were each getting a reprimand for playing this prank on Yafet. I just feel like something more than just a reprimand might have been. They they took a piece of another <laughs> crew member and put it in the in the buffet. And I just during this whole scene, I was like, yeah, that's a really mean prank. It is. If someone did that to me, obviously, I'm not a gelatinous creature. Yeah. <laughs> but like. There's like a line that kind of gets crossed. True. In all fairness, I don't think they really punished Isaac for amputating a part of Gordon either. But Gordon asked for it. Also true. But it, it what that also maybe is because, you know, Isaac's a robot. And how do you reprimand like a robot? Well, yeah, he clearly doesn't understand. And he's not officially like he's a part of the crew, but he's like kind of a liaison. Yeah, I don't I don't think they could actually like write him up for it. If anything, Mm -hmm. they'd be like, "Okay, that's a bit too far. See you later. (laughs) Please don't do that anymore. Grayson brings her findings to Mercer and the two are shocked that Lamar's aptitude rating is through the roof. In fact, the numbers indicate that Isaac is the only one on the ship who's smarter than him. Based on this new information coming to light, Kelly suggests that they look at Lamar as a possible replacement for the chief engineer position. Ed doesn't quite agree, but before concluding their discussion, the ship is abruptly shaken. My takeaway from that scene before they're shaken is that Ed's like, he fed a guy to another guy. That's not like leadership material. Yeah, Ed makes a lot of good points here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is interesting because I, I don't know, like from my perspective, just because you have book smarts mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean 
that you should be put in a leadership role. But I think that this episode does a really good discussion on that. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a good job throughout with John's journey. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about wasted potential here. Mm -hmm. And again, I can't fault Ed for his logic. Like, it doesn't matter how smart he is if one, he's not a great leader. And two, he doesn't want to use it. Yeah, it's it's something, too, where... I think book smarts don't always translate like to street smarts, as people Agreed. say. You kind of need a mix of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they even make the case that the fact that Gordon could just get Lamar on board to pull that prank yeah. shows how non-leader that <laughs> Lamar actually is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of the thing where it's like, that's another point, just that he was willing to go along with something kind of horrible. Yeah, yeah. Could he be that manipulated when he's actually in command of people? Mm-hmm. After making their way to the bridge, Isaac reports that they've skimmed the edge of a spatial anomaly. They haven't sustained any major damage, but the lower quantum engine has been knocked out of alignment, leaving them stranded for repairs for a few hours. Grayson orders Lamar to assist in Isaac's scanning of the anomaly and anything it may have affected. The two meet with Yafit to analyze some vacant crew quarters and discover that the plants in it have died. I thought the CGI of the rainbow lights, that when they hit the anomaly, was pretty cool. Hmm. I just really enjoyed that cinematic detail. They also ran into Dr. Finn's kids. Oh, that's right. In the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. And Isaac called them small and feeble, yeah. <laughs> which I enjoyed. They kind of did for no particular reason. Like, this is the only time we really see the kids in the episode. Mm -hmm. And then they're just forgotten about. I think it's because, you know, they were just on the planet with Isaac and there's like that bonding thing. Maybe they're trying to put pull a little more of those strings through. For I think so. Yeah. It's kind of reinforcing the kids attachment to him. Mm-hmm. And he agrees that they could come. And that's when you see, like, Yafit's actually pretty annoyed with John, mm -hmm. and rightfully so. Yeah, he obviously doesn't want to work with a guy, especially right now, after mm -hmm. they just pulled the horrible prank. So, yeah, so they see the dead plant, and essentially that's where, like, things start to pick up for, like, what's, what is the, I, I, when this happened the first time I watched it, I was like, I have, what, why is there a dead plant? Like, yeah, all the, the mystery things. is here now. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly meets Ed in his office and again makes a case for Lamar to get the promotion, despite Ed's insistence that Yaffa is next in line for it. She proposes that they put John in charge of the current mystery they're dealing with to see if he's up to the task. And Ed agrees because her instincts are usually good. However, Kelly accidentally lets it slip that she's the reason Ed was given command of the Orville, which doesn't sit well with him. Obviously, it doesn't sit well with him. Yafit is next in line. Mm -hmm. Like, that's crazy to just kind of go, well, let's see if how John does with this. Like, to just overlook someone who has worked really hard. Like, that I feel on a emotional level. Yeah, just because his numbers say that he's smarter. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it was interesting that it slipped about the Admiral Halsey thing. Of all the things to just kind of fall out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think she's getting a lot more relaxed around everybody right now. And she was probably very uptight around Ed at first, because obviously that was an awkward situation. So it mm -hmm. shows kind of how loose and relaxed she is in her role currently. And that just kind of flew right out. But I think it's I think it's a result of the fact that it's probably going back to old instincts like when they were a couple and you fight and sometimes you take a dig at the other person. <laughs> so there's something she wants. And then it was like post fight almost. So she threw in a little jab 
Yeah, I mean, it does make sense for how their dynamic is. Yeah, it was almost subconscious. Yeah, but I'm like, to even say that to anybody, be like, the only reason you have this job is because of me. Like, that's just kind of the worst thing you could. She did catch herself. Mm-hmm. But but she did say it. Yeah. So Mercer confirms what Kelly said with Admiral Halsey, who assures him that he's more than proven that he deserves his position. But Ed's confidence is shaken. Obviously, love seeing Ed's room because I'm a sucker for seeing any living quarters. <laughs> and we had like a top down shot from the spiral stairs mm. case. So I was like there, you know, there obviously is a second floor. Yep. OK, I'll stop. I'll stop with this. I know it's a lot. But would you. If you were in a captain's position, Mm -hmm. would you talk to the admiral that way and kind of say how not confident you feel? Hmm. Would that be something like, because I was thinking that I was like, I mean, I I understand why Ed feels that way. But Mm -hmm. would would I personally have expressed that to Admiral Halsey? Yeah, I don't know that I would express that. I I understand confirming it with him Mm -hmm. just to make sure that that was actually the case. But... I feel like something like that would be better served going to the ship's counselor, which this ship does not have. <laughs> Deanna Troy, we need you. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that I wouldn't. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I was like, maybe he has a better or closer dynamic with Admiral Halsey than other admirals. It seems like it. I mean, that is the one that gave him the job. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that he was saying, like, are you sure you want me to even do this? And I don't know that I feel great about this. Like. From an admiral's perspective, having to reassure a captain of a Union ship might be a little alarming. Yeah, (laughs) he might be questioning that at this point. Like, even though he's like, "Okay, you've proven that you can definitely handle this position, except for right now when you're telling me (laughs) that maybe you shouldn't have this position. So why don't you hold on to that? 100 percent. That's how I walked away from that. But Yeah. yeah. On the bridge, a conversation about cats and companionship leads to Isaac petting Gordon. Okay. Bridge cat, love the idea. However, no, absolutely horrible for just normal working conditions, but great idea. <laughs> and jumping up on the control panels. Oh yeah, it's a horrible idea. Getting in the way during you know situations that need to be dealt with and wanting pets. I just I thought immediately like about it jumping up and just walking all over a control panel. Look, John had soda on the bridge in the pilot. It's. <laughs> It's what it is. They don't care too much about it. It's fine. Yeah, you can't really train a cat to not jump up. No. So. Lamar is called to Grayson's office where she confronts him about his aptitude scores and asks why he never mentioned it before, to which he says it's his business. By the end of the conversation, Grayson assigns Lamar to be in command of the task force investigating the anomaly. Okay. One thing that was interesting from this is that how rich you are is measured in how successful you are now, mm. which I thought was really cool. Kind of explain more about where we're at as a society now. Mm-hmm. But John's making a choice to say, I want to clock out, drink my beer and watch TV kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But she's putting him in a position where he has to. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's fair for her to put that on him when he just expressed like, hey, I just want to I get that. I want to clock out and just not. Take my job home with me. I understand putting someone in a position to make them aware of their potential. I get that. Mm-hmm. I don't. So, okay, let me put it this way. So it's fine that she did that because the stakes aren't crazy. Like right now, they're not in any immediate danger. They're just kind of figuring out something from a science perspective And it's not like they're saying right now that, hey, you're chief engineer. Mm -hmm. I think it would be super irresponsible 
to put him in the chief engineer position right away with the attitude that he has, because that's the opposite of earning it. And like you said, if Yafit's next in line and he's worked hard for that position and he's shown leadership abilities, then the leadership abilities are almost more important than your intelligence, Mm -hmm. because being a leader is not something that everybody can learn. It's not always something uh, it, it is usually something actually that's kind of a natural thing. You're either a leader or you're not a leader. Yeah. And if John is resistant to it, then odds are he's not going to be a great leader. So, and, and he actually might be a better asset as someone as a part of the team, like use his brain. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why leader? I just, what I get stuck on is if Yafit has worked like the guy, Newton just retired mm-hmm. or not retired and went to a different position and, if Yafet's just like, okay, this I've worked for this. Yeah. Like, how crappy would it be if it's like, here's John Lamar gonna take, you know, from even like I wanna say a management, but from coming from Kelly, it just seems interesting that just because he's smart mm-hmm. to throw him into something like this. So I do think that this is probably a, at this moment it wasn't like a high risk situation. It was a good way to see his potential. Yeah. yeah. The Orville encounters a horrible act smuggling ship and warns them about the anomaly. But the warning is ignored and the ship continues on its course. Upon exiting the anomaly, no power signature or life signs can be detected. The Horbalak. He was such a slob. Oh, absolutely. Like, I was kind of grossed out when I was watching it. I was like, please stop. Don't eat those noodles. You need to not be doing this anymore. But it's kind of cool to see another alien creature. Always. Yeah. I always love seeing different things. And like, he's a smuggler. He acted like one and they didn't heed his warning. And then he bled out through his nose. I was wondering why the translator missed like one phrase. What do you mean? So he says something in his language. Mm-hmm. And then Isaac says to Ed, like, do you want the translation of that? And he starts to say it. It's like, go shove it. And Ed's like, okay, okay, that's fine. Like, don't need mm-hmm. the rest of it. So the Horblack captain is talking and it sounds like English to us, except he somehow says that one phrase in his own language. And we don't translate that part unless he's speaking English and then he switches. And I don't know. <laughs> My head cannon decided that it was he was speaking English and then he probably said the shove it up your butt thing in his language because it was kind of considered offensive. Probably because I feel like if you're a smuggler, he knows a few languages and he just said something unsavory in his own language. Yeah. Even though he's a big dummy, he's learned a lot of different languages just to survive. I mean, look at John. That's like, that seems like a bad comparison. <laughs> but, you know, like Isaac said at one point, he's like, I'd be happy to inform them that you are not as smart as they think you are kind of thing. And yeah, yeah so maybe maybe he's a savant at learning languages, but he's just an awful slob alien. That's possible. When visiting the Horbalak ship, the crew discovers it's Captain Dead. They also find crates of krill plasma rifles aboard, which means someone is going to come looking for them. Back on the Orville, Kelly wants to talk to Ed about her revelation, but he's still too upset. Obviously. Uh, And also, this doesn't seem like the right time to bicker about it. You know, bigger things kind of happening. It seems like that is a common thing that happens aboard the Orville occasionally is. But that's the thing. It's very human. I don't feel like people generally deal with things at the appropriate times a lot of the time. That's very true. And so maybe in the, it was just in Kelly's head and she couldn't stop thinking about it, which, hey, devil's advocate, 
maybe it's nagging her in the back of her head and hindering her from performing her job. Maybe. So, I mean, I can understand it, but yeah, I have... There's occasions where it's like, we should probably talk about this later, but I can see it from the perspective of, it's bothering me. I want to talk about it. I also didn't notice Ed particularly ignoring her or avoiding her or anything. No, I could just see him seething like angrily a little bit, just kind of like, but he's also going through self-doubt now. Yeah. Which it's shaken his confidence as a captain. And so he's doing a lot, I think, now to like prove to himself that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yaffa is waiting for Mercer in his office and wants to know why Lamar was put in charge instead of him. He gets upset when Ed tells him that John's now in the running for chief engineer. Rightly so, but probably not the best way to express it. Yaffa was upset. (laughs) I can completely understand that, though. Yeah. And I think that it's, yeah, I I feel for Yaffa just because I, I purely know when you work hard for something and then just to have just like out of nowhere, this wild horse comes in and is like, hey. I could be taking the job that you thought you were getting. Like, it's it's upsetting. On top of the fact that he just did something so awful and somewhat degrading to another, mm-hmm. like, another alien species. So, I mean, I get it. And that's why I think that Ed didn't really get upset at how Yafit was expressing himself. Because it, it was right. kind of BS. Yeah, you know that job that you earned and want? We're considering this other guy who doesn't want it and hasn't earned it. And also treated you like crap at the, yeah. the party. So, yeah, noticeably and justifiably upset. (laughs) Lamar is hesitant to enter engineering and start work with his team as he feels unprepared. Gordon spots him and suggests an icebreaker, which he tries, but it falls apart when Yafit says it's stupid. I loved this scene. Just okay. So Dan, not just because of Dan, (laughs) but like he's like everybody. He was so John was so serious about the gumdrops and. You know, Dan was trying to eat it and he just yells at Dan, you got to share something about yourself and just like so upset. And I just thought that was hysterical. And, you know, Yafit says it's dumb. And then John made them all put their gumdrops back, which it just it was a good way to showcase that John didn't feel ready. And clearly wasn't like that's not that's not command. And and Yafit called him on on Mm -hmm. it. He's like, we should be working. What are you doing? But. I will say that it it did a good job showing that John was trying. And yeah. we did learn a little bit more about Dan, which I personally love. <laughs> you wanted to know about his antique furniture working, of didn't you? Of course I did. I want to know as much as I can about Dan. <laughs> and you're going to go get brunch with him after this. Oh, 100%. We're going to get mimosas. <laughs> We're going to have a nice time. <laughs> Gordon kind of puts the idea to John, too, by saying that everyone likes gumdrops. But honestly... Not a big fan. I do not like gumdrops either. They're too chewy. Yep. And they're gritty. Yeah. They're not worth it. Mm -mm, They're really not. So many better candies. Agreed. What candy would you have picked? I know it's a tough question, but. Oh, man. You could have gone with like even a Hershey kiss. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one. Keep it simple. Peanut butter M&M's. That'll work. Well, now you're dealing with possible allergies, Katie. That's <laughs> that's space, a whole other problem. There are no allergies, Rob. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll agree. That, yeah. I'll have Doctor Finn on the side with an EpiPen, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> They're irresistible. <laughs> While looking over the data, Isaac and John realize that the anomaly is a doorway leading to a two-dimensional pocket of space. Doctor Finn explains that the death of the Horbalak captain and their plants is a result of their protein structures being broken down into two dimensions, unable to return to their original shape once back in a three-dimensional universe. This is my note. This is literally the note I wrote. So much science, very Star Trek. 
<laughs> That's not a very tech the tech part, but it is it is sciency. It reminded me very much of like old episodes of Next Generation yeah. and just the more you know, science technology discussions in mm-hmm. the boardroom. It's not a boardroom, but in the meeting rooms and stuff. So it just it gave me very much like a flashback to nostalgia. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if it's accurate or not. We're just like, OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my brain doesn't understand this stuff super well. So it's like, yeah, this mm-hmm, this makes sense. Yep. That's fine by me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Checks out. Yep. I understand shape. Go flat. Shape. Not get back to shape after. It seems good. Yeah. It's one of Simple. those things where I just kind of. Yeah. Like it, you know, I because you were saying this is like quantum physics. Well, not this part, but there is yeah. quantum physics later on. Yeah. But like this is, you know, the science stuff where like you could dig into this and maybe if this was your field of study, but as like a regular viewer, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, whatever yep. you guys say. Mm-hmm. Checks out. Yep. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Before they can plan a course of action, three Krill ships are detected heading in their direction. With the enemy set to arrive before their drive is back online, Lamar suggests creating a quantum bubble around the ship which should theoretically allow them to enter the anomaly and survive in two-dimensional space. I wrote down that it was could protect. There was no guarantees here. There wasn't. There was a chance. And Isaac even said that theoretically mm-hmm. it should work. They have no way of testing. I did notice that when they were like, yes, do that. John and Isaac both didn't have much hustle leaving the bridge when there's like oh. 15 minutes. They're just casually walking off the bridge. There was a brisk walk, but it wasn't like I'd be running to engineering if I was about to make a bubble to go around the ship to go into right. two-dimensional space. There's a lot of stairs to walk down. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of spiral staircases from what I remember. Yeah. So, In engineering, the science team texts the tech and initiates the quantum bubble. They enter the anomaly just before the Krill ships arrive. The bridge crew marvels at the sight of two-dimensional space and the life forms that exist within it. Mercer gives the order to remain here for a couple hours so the krill ships will leave. It looked like a circuit board. It did. It looked super cool. I liked it. Yeah, I I was actually going to ask you what you thought of the design of the two-dimensional civilization. I really liked it, and I, I liked even more that they kind of gave it that almost pulsing rainbow hue. Mm-hmm. It's just like a different spectrum of colors than you normally mm-hmm. see. And it was interesting because they're talking about how this is maybe a two-dimensional civilization. And, like, mm-hmm. what would that even mean? And, like, when you really look at it from that perspective, you're like, those little lights moving back and forth could be, like, little beings just mm-hmm. living their days. They could even be starships flying mm-hmm. around in their two-dimensional universe, but they can't perceive us. because mm-hmm. It's really cool. And one of the things that I was thinking about, because the ship's kind of flying through it, right? Mm-hmm. Are they murdering? A bunch of two-dimensional space from what they said the bubble is kind of protecting not only them but also the two-dimensional space so they're not really directly harming it okay because i was just watching it like i'm like yeah they can say that but they're flying through it so <laughs> i just was like there's just like destruction and death behind them but it's like oh pretty <laughs> they don't show behind the orbit where there's just screams <laughs> screams and fire yeah oh 2d fire <laughs> Grayson finds Mercer in the mess hall and continues their previous conversation. This time she points out that no one does anything on their own, so Ed should accept that, even if it was her that helped him out. While still not completely on board with her argument, Ed seems to be cooling down. 
Yeah, it seems like compared to, say, the first part of the season, like now, he deals with Kelly and things like this with Kelly, like with much more of a cool head. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the same. I can't believe Like, I feel like in episode three, he would have still been like, get out of it, like kind of thing. And now he's just yeah. like, I've thought about it. Fine. Thank you, I guess. Yeah, he definitely made his peace with the fact that she's on board and... He even at this point, because he dealt with Derulio and everything to this point, they they're on the other side of that. Well, maybe it wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he's cutting her a lot more slack. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because like she or he said to her like, "Oh, you just happened to do a recommendation to the admiral your dad's close with," and mm-hmm. I can understand where he's coming from, but it seems like he's handling it a lot better than he would have. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nice that he didn't just say, oh, okay, fine, you're right. He's like, well, I need to deal with this on my own time. Like, I get it. I understand what you're saying now, mm-hmm. but I still just need to kind of figure this out on my own. Yeah. And that's, that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. The Orville is suddenly hit by tremors, the cause of which is the deterioration of the quantum bubble. Mercer orders Gordon to take them back to normal space, but he's unable to do so as the anomaly has closed, trapping them inside. The fact that the bubble's breaking down is horrifying, but also mm-hmm. they, like, all of them had nosebleeds, except, yeah. say, like, Isaac. But it's something where I wonder what kind of damage it did to their bodies in just that short amount of time. Yeah. Well, it affects their nasal cavities, clearly, <laughs> and but only their nasal cavities. There must be something. What if you, What if it's because your lungs get flattened? Ah, I don't know, but it just seems like, you know, there might be some long-term effects later on. But granted, it's the future. Medical science is a lot better. Maybe mm-hmm. there's just, everybody just needs a specific rehabilitation thing, and then they'll be good as new. I'm going with balloon pump. Like to make them feel better, like a balloon pump? No, just reinflate whatever got flattened with a balloon pump. <laughs> There's just a line for a balloon pump and Dr. Finn's pumping it. Your foot's better. Look, they've had clowns here, so mm-hmm. they have people that can take care of this for them. Medical personnel. Mm-hmm. Dr. Finn's probably been trained in this. <laughs> yeah, in balloon clowning. Mm-hmm. In engineering, Isaac has detected what he believes to be another doorway, but it's 4,000 kilometers away, and the Orville's engines have already been exposed to two-dimensional space, rendering them useless. Lamar devises a plan to create a quantum bubble inside of a shuttle, allowing the outside to remain in two-dimensional space, but the inside unharmed. Wanting to prove himself to himself, Ed decides to join John in the shuttle. You can't not mention the pancake comment. <laughs> I just, I enjoyed that. Just shout out to Dan. Um, <laughs> should see Again, Rob. another reason why Dan annoys me. Like, this is not your conversation, Dan. He likes pancakes. There are bigger things going on. True. Dan needs to learn his role. <laughs> People are going to yell at me for not liking Dan. I'm waiting for the rage. It's going to happen. <laughs> I just, I just enjoy him as an alien and, um. He's staying optimistic, despite the fact that they all might be pancakes, but he just wanted to know if they were discussing pancakes. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that Ed's going, it makes sense that he's proving himself, but it's also like, danger, danger, we might need you on the bridge, but I get it because of the circumstances. He wants to prove that he can. I get it, but also, how does being a good pilot prove you're a good captain? Maybe it's it's more of the mission, because you have to get the Orville out of two-dimensional space. Yeah. Like, they were lying on 
John and Ed to get them essentially out. I guess, unless Ed is diverting captainship from the Orville to one shuttle. Oh, that is true. Like, I'm going to be the captain of this shuttle. I mean, it is also, it's risky because like what, granted, I am no scientist, but the bubble inside of the, the shuttle, mm-hmm. but then the shuttle was flat. This is the quantum physics part. So mm-hmm. they reference a couple other things that I greatly appreciated, like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, mm-hmm. Snoopy's doghouse, stuff like that, where the inside is bigger than the outside. And you go, well, how is that possible? In Doctor Who, they're like, well, that's Time Lord science. Mm-hmm. That's what we know how to do. We can make things bigger inside than outside. This follows the same rules. Are we supposed to understand it? We're not quantum scientists. So, no, probably mm-hmm. not. Or quantum physicists is probably way more accurate. Mm-hmm. But I understand that it's a thing that other sci-fi has done. I understand the concept of it. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't make sense from a very logical standpoint, there is a scientific basis behind it. And I'm glad that it worked because they're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> In the shuttle bay, the science team is blaming Yafit for the situation they're in. John steps in and scolds them, saying it was his idea as well, so he deserves just as much blame. I enjoyed, I just thought it was really crappy of the engineering department to be so catty. Yeah. Especially to someone where, like, Yafit was, I mean, this is a new scenario. Mm -hmm. They'd all be dead if, you know, the krill. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, and so I thought it was actually really cool that John defended Yafet and stuck up for him. And this is, of course, their way of showing John kind of stepping up into his command role. Mm -hmm. So that's why I do think this episode did do a good job of showing John's progression. Yeah, he did grow into the role. Mm -hmm. I'll give him that. But the question remains, is he still more qualified for it than Yafet is, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mercer and Lamar take the shuttle out and begin to pull the Orva with a tractor beam. On their way, Ed asks John why he hides his intelligence. John says being smart where he grew up got you alienated, so to be accepted, he made a habit of downplaying it. Mercer says that Kelly was right about a lot of things and offers John the job of chief engineer. Well, there you go. The fact is, Yafis kind of gotten screwed over here a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I still, my brain is kind of going with, does John really want it? Yeah, I don't know if he does still. And it's a little bit crazy that just because he has good testing scores and stuff that he kind of got to walk through it without paying his dues. Mm. And, you know, maybe Yafit wasn't fully qualified, but I just kind of felt like it'll be okay. but I feel for Yafit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. To me, this part felt like an action movie romance in the sense that. When you're watching an action movie, there are often people that end up in a romantic situation as a result of being in a high tension situation. Mm -hmm. So like all your emotions are heightened and there's a romance that buds out of it. But then like if you follow those people out of this high tense situation, they're completely incompatible and it's not going to work out. And we just know that, but we don't really think about that while we're watching the movie. Mm -hmm. Ed and John are in this high tense situation and all of a sudden he's like, be my chief engineer like it's <laughs> it's the action movie romance situation he might regret it later but right now it feels like the right thing to do maybe it's because they felt like they were gonna die maybe you know <laughs> yeah i'll just offer it to him now because <laughs> maybe he'll keep us alive through this if he believes he's gonna be chief engineer or it's like something where it's like you know we might die so he can go out thinking that he's the chief engineer or something you got your promotion as your last act that is a good way to put it though it's like it is 
the high stress situation where you would do things you probably normally wouldn't do. So maybe having like a meeting after everything was resolved in Ed's office would have made more sense. But he did help figure out a pretty tough situation. He did. But again, using his brain, not necessarily any leadership qualities in order to do so. But what about Yafit? I know. Just then, the field is starting to break down, so Ed takes the shuttle to quantum speed and trusts John to make sure they stay alive. The Orville and the shuttle successfully make it out and return to normal space. It was interesting, their solution to getting out of it. Yeah. And creative. It was interesting because it was like all this buildup, and then you see this like little flat shuttle pulling the Orville through. <laughs> I actually really like the effect of when it almost went over the waterfall, if you will, mm-hmm. and just went flat. That was cool. Yeah. And so it was a really cool... I don't I don't know. This is obviously something you don't normally see on TV shows, even like no. sci-fi shows. I thought it was a really creative and unique concept to actually watch. Mm. And, you know, again, I, I'm no physicist. So just sitting there, I'm like, this is something that is beyond my realm of figuring out. So I... I I enjoyed that they stepped outside of the box for this. Ed goes to Kelly's office to apologize and thank her for helping him get the command position. He plants a kiss on her cheek before leaving. What'd you think about that? (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, that I wrote a note. Apparently, I think my notes are very entertaining tonight, but uh, saying, are Ed and Kelly working through things? Exclamation point, question mark. Mm -hmm. And I put, they're growing up. Which, in a way, they're reaching a different maturity level in their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Though, could it be romantic? Could it be? Could it be? And so, I think, you know, when you're in that situation, now that the whole Derulio thing has, has shaken out, was he in heat? Was he not? And I think he was a little more forgiving than past Ed would have been. Oh, absolutely. What did you think? I thought it kind of went along the same idea. It's a progression of that idea of, well, maybe Kelly didn't cheat on him within her control. And therefore, this is not only like, it's a thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I think, supposed to be there to make us go, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. is there potential there for something more now? Now that that's something that we can kind of say wasn't her fault. Captain probably wouldn't kiss their first officer on the cheek just because they, you know. No, no. Just but saying. <laughs> they have a history, so you yeah. kind of, yeah. In engineering, a newly promoted Lieutenant Commander Lamar takes control of his team with a confident look on his face. Yeah, it seems okay with it. Yeah. So that made me go, okay, maybe John proved himself to Yafit too, and that maybe Yafit felt like, okay, he does deserve it too. <laughs> I like John. I think that he settles into himself by the end of the episode. But I still think he's a little shaky on being a leader. Agreed. But it does show that he's more confident. It doesn't hurt either that John defended Yafit when Yafit was the one that Mm -hmm. he was kind of competing with for this role. So, yeah. All right. What's your big takeaway from this episode? My big takeaway is that it was very nostalgic for me because it reminded me of an old Next Gen episode just with mm. the tech and science stuff. And I feel like there isn't a level of that in past episodes, but this was the most heavily reliant episode, I think, for it. Yeah, sure. I still feel like Yafit kind of got the short end of the stick 
but it was kind of a neat episode to see John grow mm-hmm. a little bit. And I feel like John hasn't had too much of an episode since Majority Rule. So it was neat to see him progress as a character. Overall, I liked the episode. It, it's not my favorite, but, you know, it was different concepts and different ideologies that I think mm-hmm. like you get to see Ed and Kelly grow as characters, too. And so it's a lot of character stuff in this mm-hmm. episode. Like the mystery's there, but it's not super, super important. It's like, hey, here's a thing that's kind of cool. Oh, it's dangerous. Like always. <laughs> oh, we're going to get out of it. So it's kind of those normal beats that you're used to. Yeah. So it was more focused on the character stuff, which I like. I like that. Yeah. So this, I feel like this has been a different. Uh, it was a different episode than we've watched in a in a while. Mm, I think so, too. I read something saying that the whole point of this episode from McFarlane's point of view he legit just wanted to give John more to do. Mm. So this episode was really an excuse to get John into the chief engineer position. Which makes sense. I mean, it, and that was one of the things, too, is like it reminded me of Jordy LaForge, too. Yeah, absolutely. What was your takeaway? So this whole shift for Lamar does feel like a bit of a retcon. Mm-hmm. Like this came out of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as a first officer would also probably have to be familiar with their crew. And would have probably discovered that a long time ago. Yeah. So we had said that time is moving faster for them than we're watching it from like week to week. Yeah. So we're well past six months. Kelly would add plenty of time to go over her crew roster considering there are what, like 300-ish people mm-hmm. on the Orville. She would have picked up on this a long time ago. So Wouldn't Ed have also seen it when he was going through his roster? One would think so, but that usually falls on the first officer if we're talking Star Trek terms. Yeah. The captain would try to be as familiar as possible, but it would be the first officer's job to be in charge of the crew and be aware of who the crew is, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, While I'll miss the interactions, of course, like you said, between John and Gordon on the bridge, because I love their dynamic there. Mm -hmm. It's a retcon I really don't mind. Uh, engineering to this point did feel like a bit of an afterthought for most of the episodes. Yeah, this will be a way that they can tie it in more with, I don't know, because I, I know it was compared to Next Gen, but engineering was a huge part of the show. Yeah. And so I think this is another way that that can be incorporated more. And we get yeah. to see more Quantum Drive. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did say it already, but it is funny how much the situation parallels Jordy LaForge. Mm-hmm. In TNG, uh, he was also a bridge officer, so it wasn't just promoted to chief engineer. He was like in the same position on the ship, getting put into the same position as Lamar. So, or Lamar or Jordy, I'm just saying them interchangeably because it's like mm-hmm. the same thing happened. I j- okay, just because my brain just realized this. Laforge Lamar. Laforge, La- yeah, yeah. That's all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a funny coincidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The concept of two-dimensional life forms is also something borrowed from TNG. I don't know if you remember the episode of The Loss. I'd need to rewatch Next Gen. I don't know that that one's in the forefront. The Loss is the episode where the Enterprise encounters a wave of two-dimensional beings that are being attracted to a certain part of space. It's why they kind of gather together. Mm-hmm. And the gathering of them actually dampens Deanna's powers. Oh, I vaguely remember that. I'd have to rewatch it. And she like... She loses her psychic ability mm-hmm. because she's being overwhelmed by the creatures around them. And they don't know what's going on for most of the episode until I believe Data discovers the two dimensional beings. And they're like, oh, man. And then they're actually trapped in the stream of them. 
kind of headed toward this danger and they have to break away from it mm-hmm. in order to be safe. I'd, I'd need to rewatch. Did they show anything like they did in the or this episode, though, where it was like we see the two dimensional beings, but mostly on like a graphical overlay in like the observation lounge. OK. Yeah. So it's not like they're showing this beautiful, like two dimensional thing like they did in this. Yeah. So this was visually represented a lot better. And I mean, the visual effects now are much better anyway. So very true. <laughs> uh, I also found the timing of this episode to be kind of interesting as to like where it comes up in just the order of episodes. So we just talked about Firestorm, mm-hmm. which had Alara doubting her abilities. And in this episode, we get both Ed and John doing the same. That is true. So is this the show's way of telling us that in life, no one ever really knows what they're doing? Which is true. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like about this show, though, is that it is very, like, relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you're, I'm in charge of a starship or, you know, I'm a security officer, I'm in engineering, like, I think everybody struggles with doubt. And I'm glad that this show shows that versus it just being like, we're all competent at everything we do. I'm so well trained in this. I know everything. It's nice mm-hmm. to see even amongst alien species, the human side of like emotions and working things out and that we're all just trying really hard. Trying our best. We're trying as hard as we can. To make it through life, to put together a nice podcast, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do all the things. It's all we want. (laughs) But before we end this podcast, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is a big fan of the Orville as well and always leaves us with his one sentence review. I, too, have several gelatinous friends, but they get mad when I call them that. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks... You can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.